Hi everyone, welcome back to Hitchcock University where you learn filmmaking from the masters. Last class session we talked about The Lost Weekend. This class session we're going to talk about a film called Sunset Boulevard. Classic film, uh, arguably, I don't even think it's arguably, this is one of Billy Wilder's greatest films. If you haven't seen it, it's a story about a failing Hollywood writer who gets himself mixed up in the personal and professional life of a silent movie star whose star has fallen. Everything I'm about to tell you relates to the opening of the film. I don't want to get too deep into the plot of this film. I don't want to mess it up for anybody if you haven't seen it because it is so great. Um, so everything I'm, I'm about to tell you to, is, is comes out of the beginning of this film. And, and as soon as we talk about it, I think you're going to get why. In the Writers Guild interview that we've mentioned several times now, uh, you can find it on YouTube called The Writer Speaks. Billy Wilder recounts the first preview opening that they did of this film. This is something that, that they would do. They would show it before a test audience. They would have the audience give them notes on what they thought about the film, and then from there they would decide what to do with it, you know, how much more to change it, etc. So Billy recounts this story like this. He says, the picture starts in Evanston, Illinois. Now, what he doesn't say here is that the film was about Hollywood. It's about a Hollywood writer. It's about a fallen movie star, etc., so they really wanted just kind of the average Joe Schmo reaction to this film. They didn't want to show it to a bunch of Hollywood people, which is normally what they would have done. They normally would have showed it in front of a Hollywood audience, a, an audience that came from this town or lives in this town. So he says, the picture starts in Evanston, Illinois. So they took it to Evanston. He says, the picture starts in about a minute and a half in. After the titles, they're putting that thing on the wire, tag on the big toe. And the biggest laugh... I have ever had in a picture. Now let me explain to you what's happening here. There's more context here that I probably should have unpacked. There was a different opening for this film than the one that's in the film right now, where um, the picture starts at the, I suppose, the Hollywood morgue, and there's several dead bodies under sheets, and each one of them tells us how they died and how they got there. And there's like three or four of them, and then we get to... Um, William Holden, the star of the film, and he tells us how he got there. And so Billy says they're putting that thing with the wire, the tag, he says, on the big toe. And the biggest laugh I ever had, I've ever had in a picture. The audience felt tickled. You never know how they're going to react. So I get a little bit sick, sick to my stomach. I excuse myself. I walk out. And I sit on some steps leading down to the restrooms. And I hear some steps. There's also a woman coming out of the theater with a big hat full of flowers and very, very made up. The most elegant woman I imagine in Evanston. She turns to me and says, have you ever seen shit like this before in your life? And I says, I don't think so. Very seriously. So then we come back to Hollywood. What are we going to do? I said, we're just going to cut it. We're just going to cut it, and we're going to have the police arrive, and there's going to be a voice, a voice, and it's the voice of a dead man. And they took it. They took it because it was very quick getting into the story. So let me unpack some of this a little bit more here. The audience has the exact opposite reaction that you want them to have to this very heavy, dark film. They start laughing. You know, Wilder assumes that it was because they didn't know what to do. They didn't know what to expect. He's not really sure why they laughed, but he knows that they laughed. And so he scratches this open to this film, and he and he, he and everybody sits down and he says, what do we do? And he says, we're, we have to scrap this, and we have to open it differently. And we're going to open it very seriously. We're going to open it very seriously with the, with the police arriving. 
we're going to keep the voiceover because there's already voiceover throughout the film. And it's just going to be the voice of the dead man. And he says that the audience took it. They took it and they took it because it was very quick getting into the story. And that's, that's the important thing here. The way you open a film stays with the audience. If you open the film very funny and then you turn it on them and make it very serious, a lot of them aren't going to know what to do with that. You know, your audience, you will have probably lost your audience at that point. But if you open it seriously and you keep it serious, and not only that, but you grab them and say, this is what this movie is. You grab them with something fascinating, something they're like, my gosh, what is this? You know, um, we're going to talk about this later, but I'm going to I'm going to use some of it right now. Billy says you grab them, the audience, by the throat. Their heart is beating and you never let go. You just apply more and more pressure. Then at the end, as they're going for the last gasp, you let them go. It's over. The circulation starts again. But what's important there is that you have to grab the audience right up front. They have to know exactly what movie they're in for. And you have to give them something that they're like, oh my gosh, I have to know how this plays out. I have to know how this man floating in this pool got here. And let's talk about that man floating in that pool. Billy says this in conversations with Billy Wilder. He says, I made it a little bit more difficult for myself with Sunset Boulevard. It was a, it was about the closest things of, you know, to make about Hollywood, about an old star falling in love with a young writer, committing suicide, attempting suicide. Tough. And then how are you going to end it? So we just had him shot. It was a tough decision to make. He could have thrown everything away and gone back to Cleveland or wherever he was a reporter. That was not the solution. Because it came back to that line that we had discussed for a long time. He always wanted to have a pool. He got a pool. He died in the pool. That we hung on to. There's a little bit going on here where he talks about how it's really hard um, to make a movie in Hollywood about Hollywood. Because everyone in Hollywood is like, well, what are you doing? Like... What's going on here? You know, and it's also dealing with tough subject matter for a, for an audience of the 50s. You know, you have an older woman, a younger man, you have suicide. And to open a film with a dead man, you know, um, especially because, like he says, he, this character could have thrown everything away and gone back to Cleveland or whatever. But that wasn't what fit the story. And they hung on to this idea of we have a character who always wanted a pool. That's why he moved out to Hollywood in the first place. And he gets a pool and he dies in the pool. And that's what inspires the opening shot of this film. Well, it's not the opening shot, but, but one of the early shots in the film, probably one of the most um, iconic shots of the film. And, and, and Billy doing something that he wasn't known for and something that he kind of, kind of didn't like, but doing this kind of draw attention to itself photography. This, this, this kind of, this way of, the style of shooting that is overt perhaps over the top can draw attention to itself we're going to talk more about that later i think but specifically in this film that shot of him floating in the pool had to happen part of the reason it stands out especially or at least would have stood out to an audience at that time is there was no physical way to get a camera underneath the water at that time they you know they hadn't developed these these waterproof cages and things it, it it just wasn't done and nobody bothered to do it the cameras were too big and cumbersome and too heavy and you know it just would have, would have required too much at the time so the shot really stands out especially for the era now the way they did it was they put a mirror on the bottom of the pool 
and shot the reflection of that mirror from above. So it gives the same impression of, of being below, which is really ingenious. But the reason for that shot is he always wanted to have a pool. He got a pool. He died in the pool. That's why that shot's that's why that shot is there. Now I'm gonna talk a little bit more here about Billy Wilder's view on these big kind of draw attention to themselves kinds of shots. And we're gonna talk more about this later too, but Billy in, in Billy Wilder interviews, in an interview called Charming Billy, um, this is a quote from Richard Gaiman's article. This is not necessarily direct quotes from Billy Wilder, but this is a quote from the article. Okay. Uh, Gaiman writes, There was a scene in which Gloria Swanson and William Holden danced together in the dusty, deserted ballroom of her, com- of her crumbling, once-elegant mansion. Willie Shore, Wilder's, ass- Wilder's assistant producer, had gone up on the catwalk. Now, there used to be catwalks above all of these sets that they would build because that's where you would put the lights. And so the, the lamp operators had to go up there to operate the lights, of course, pan them and tilt them and all manner of things. So Wilder's assistant producer is up on the catwalk, high above the set, and looked down. He urged me to photograph the scene from that vantage. I told, I told him, it is very nice, very artistic, but who sees the scene from this angle? Shore argued with me, what do you care who sees it? It's a great shot. As he was relating the incident, Wilder, Wilder shook his head so violently the cigarette waggled in the corner of his mouth. No, I told him, it does not push the story along. We shoot only from the angles that help us tell the story. When somebody turns to his neighbor and says, my, that was beautifully directed, we have proof it was not. And this is so fascinating for me because it's, it's so easy for us to fall into this trap of getting the most beautiful shots, getting, these, getting the most interesting shots. But if they don't tell the story, then why are they there? And this is something that we're going to talk about much later on, I think, with with Billy, because he was so adamant about this and had so many good things to say about it. But I wanted to, to, to use this in counterpoint from the same film about not just talking about when it's not appropriate, but when it is appropriate. When you should do that, when you need to maybe indulge a little bit because it plays into this story, you know. Sometimes, sometimes it is necessary, and you see it here in this film, but you also see the restraint of not doing it in other places. And I think that's what makes Billy Wilder such a great master of filmmaking, what makes him work so well as a filmmaker. Now, there's one other thing that we need to talk about that I almost left out here, and I would have if I wasn't careful. Because let's talk about that. He got a pool, he died in a pool. That's actually voiceover that William Holden says in the film. And voiceover is so integral to the story that I think it's important that we talk about it. And I originally wanted to use it in Double Indemnity, but um, but I didn't because that that particular episode already had so much going on. I wanted to save it for something else. And um, Sunset Boulevard is the next most natural place to talk about Billy Wilder's views on voiceover. Billy says, well, Billy didn't say, um, but in the Sunset Boulevard um, extra features, the bonus features on, at least on the Blu-ray copy that I have, there's a bonus feature called Sunset Boulevard The Beginning, in which uh, one of the guys says something to the effect of, I asked Billy once, um, why voiceover? You know, why do you use so much voiceover? Because he did use a lot of voiceover. He'd use it to open pictures or whatever. Um, he says, he says that Billy told him two things. 
One was that voiceover allows you to get through a lot of exposition quickly so that you can get on with your story, you know. And that's one of the things that so many filmmakers have talked about is how do I get through all this exposition? How do I do this without it being boring? And Billy felt that voiceover was one of the most, one of the best ways to do it. You can just get through a lot of exposition and get back to telling your story. Because the issue is you only have the audience's attention for so long. And you're already limited by what we have collectively agreed is the length of a decent film. You know, 90 to 120 minutes. Occasionally you can get away with something much longer than, with, than that. But it has to be really, really, really strong. You know, so if you only have the audience for 90 to maybe two, 90 minutes, maybe two hours, you have to keep that story moving to keep their attention. Otherwise, they'll turn it off and go see something else. And Billy really felt that voiceover was 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 a very helpful tool in getting through so much of that exposition, getting the audience on on the same page as the characters and then moving forward. The other interesting thing is that he says it also allows you to comment on the action. And there is so much commenting on the action by Bill Holden's character in this film that I think is so important here. Billy puts it another way uh, in the documentary series, uh, miniseries, Billy, How Did You Do It? He says, one should never repeat in the narration what the audience already knows. You have to add something and widen the thing. See, because Billy knew, knew, knew exactly what Hitchcock knew. It was ridiculous to show the audience something and then just reinforce that. You needed to add to it. There needed to be layers of what was going on. If you show the audience something, you don't need to repeat yourself. And instead of repeating yourself, what you need to do is you need to, you need to comment on it. You need to add on it. You need to, you, maybe you need to counterpoint it. You should never repeat in the narration what the audience already knows. You have to add something and widen the thing. Now, there's one more thing here from Double Indemnity that I'm gonna, I'm gonna steal. Um, because I think it's good to talk about. He says, voiceover is useful if there is a raison d'etre. He says it in French, but if there's a reason for it. If it is anchored in the story. Now, I think in Double Indemnity, it was very good because a man is speaking into a dictaphone in order to help a man who is believed to be a murderer, to whitewash him, to do the decent thing. There was a reason for telling the story. And that comes from his biography, Nobody's Perfect. And again, I would argue that there's a reason for telling the story in this one. There's a reason to have Bill Holden tell the story because it's a complex story, you know. Um, not to mention we start at the end and then come back to the beginning, you know. So there has to be something to, to kind of push us back that way. Um, it's a story that I don't think most audiences understand, especially not at the time. You know, there needs to be some kind of a guide through the story. There's 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 reasons Billy felt for telling the story that way, even though he didn't go into them. I'm And I'm sorry I'm speculating here. I try not to do that so much on this. But I think it's important to remember that Billy would never use dub, <laughs> Billy would never use voiceover if he didn't think there was a reason for it. You know, in in um in Robert McKee's book, Story, he says that if you can do without the voiceover, that means you did it right. If the voiceover doesn't have to be there, you did it right. Um, because that means that it's adding to what's to, to what's already there, and the bare bones should work on their own. But, but Billy says that there needs to be a reason for that voiceover. That voiceover still has to serve a purpose in being there. 
So that's all I have for Sunset Boulevard. Um, I want to thank you all for listening to this episode or to this class session of Hitchcock University. The next three class sessions are going to be Ace in the Hole, Stalag 17, and Sabrina, which I'm very excited about all three of those. Um, if there is anything you'd like to reach out to us about, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, suggestions, um, you know, uh, feel free to reach out to, to the podcast. Uh, you can email us at hitchcockuniversity at gmail.com. You can also um, find us on Facebook. There's a Hitchcock University Facebook page. And then, of course, on Twitter, uh, Hitchcock underscore U. The letter U is in university. That's our Twitter handle. Um, and, uh, yeah, I want to thank you all again for listening to Hitchcock University, where you learn filmmaking from the masters. And we will talk. To, I've been Taylor Bickle, and we will talk to you again in two weeks. Thanks, guys.